Hello and welcome to Warsaw Burstein Perspectives, our continuing series of podcasts to help you understand the key issues at the intersection of law and business. Today we'll take a look at the low-income housing tax credits with Mike Zuckerman. Mike is a lawyer here at Warsaw Burstein, and uh, he's a lot more than that. Mike, very nice to be with you today. Hello, how are you this morning? Well, thank you. Uh, when I say you're a lot more than that, uh, you not only practice law in real estate, but I understand uh, you, you're a developer as well. Yes, I am the CEO of a company called Whitestone Realty Capital, and we are developers of certain kinds of projects, including some of which are projects that use low-income housing tax credits. So when a client comes into you, uh, you, it's very easy for you to take the perspective of the client as well as the perspective of the lawyer. Yes, we recently did that in a historic tax credit deal. My client actually was a student of mine. I teach at NYU. And uh, he had no experience in this was historic tax credits or something else that we use a lot. And uh, I was really helpful to him because I understood it from not only the lawyer's side, but from the developer's side. All right, let's start at the beginning now. What are low-income housing tax credits? They were created in 1986 by the government, by part of the 1986 Tax Reform Act. And what they are is a means by which people can develop certain kinds of projects for people who are at least no more than 60% of the average median income in a particular city or county. So there are two different types of tax credits. There's a 4% tax credit, and there's a 9% tax credit. The 4% tax credit is for the benefit of people, projects in which the people will be at no more than 60% of the average median income. And the 9% tax credits are for projects where people are of much lower kinds of income. They will have anything from 20% to 60% of the AMI. So the idea here is uh, to promote the development of affordable housing for people who need it, by incentivizing the developers, correct? Correct. And then if you go into certain kinds of census tracts, which have greater amounts of poverty levels or greater amounts of people below that income level, then the federal government gives you another incentive, which is 30% of the tax credits. So you get 4% tax credits plus a 30% bonus if you're in one of these census tracts. So this is a federal program, but it's my understanding that the private market runs this. Explain that to us. What happens is an in, a, a developer comes up with a project, and he thinks that it'll qualify for low-income housing tax credits. And what he will do is he will apply to the state agency, generally the state housing finance agency, for tax credits and for um, bonds in which to finance the project. The tax credits are given as a matter of course. The only thing that limits them is something called volume cap, which is basically every state is limited by the amount of people in the state, the amount of tax credits that can be given to developers. And these projects have tax credits given to single-family homes, multifamily, and, and lots of other things. So they're limited by the volume cap. But if you get into the project early on in the year, and in many of the states, it doesn't matter. You can get the allocations for the tax credits. So I'm a developer. I want to uh, take advantage of this program. Who do I contact? Which agencies am I contacting? In New York, it's a New York State Housing Finance Agency. Or in, there is a separate one in the city. You contact either one of those agencies with a projected project. And then you submit to them. There is what they call a, uh, there's a bunch of forms that, that are required to be submitted to these agencies. 
and you have to follow their their guidelines. And once you follow the guidelines and submit to them, then they'll, they'll come back to you. It generally takes 30 to 60 days to make the submission to the Housing Finance Agency. They come back to you. They say, yes, it fits our requirements, and we'll give you an allocation of credits and bonds. And that's something you'll help them do? Yes. You mentioned the two kinds of credits, the 9% and the 4%. What's the difference between those two? Um, the 4% credits are generally, they're given by, the, the amount of the credit is set every month. It generally runs around 3.4%. So it's 3.4% for 10 years, or therefore 34% of the project cost is a credit for the uh, developer. And the way he achieves the credit is he gets approved by the state housing finance agency, and then he can sell those credits to people who buy them, such as banks and syndicators. And uh, the 9% credits are 9% per annum for 10 years, so it's 90% of the project cost. So it's not just the developer that uh, can benefit from this, but investors as well. Yes, there are, there are many people that are involved in these programs. There's the developer, there's the purchasers of these credits, which is frequently banks, because they qualify under the, um, they're obligated to do certain kinds of investments in certain kinds of areas, CRA areas, um, and in these areas they get extra benefits from the federal government for investing in these low-income housing tax credit deals. So the investors, the developers, there are many, many um, social uh, not-for-profit agencies that are involved in these programs, and they are also benefited by these programs. And is that because they, they feel that they're uh, doing a good thing for the community? That's exactly, part of it? Exactly, exactly. And you'll represent all these entities? No, generally we're just representing the developers. We're speaking with Mike Zuckerman of counsel of the New York law firm Warshaw Burstein, and we're talking about low-income housing tax credits. So tell us how this leverage works now with these many parties in this investment. In most transactions... If you go out and try and do a market rate transaction, the financing, the senior debt financing will be 75% of, of development cost, and there'll be 25% equity required. In these transactions, if you do them right, um, you will get basically 100% financing. The, you will put up pre-development money, whatever that amounts to for a project of, say, 100 units. You're going to spend a half a million, three quarters of a million dollars. And then the rest of it will be financed. So the leverage will be the bonds that the state's going to provide, and it's going to be the tax credits. So the tax credits are, let's say, 33.4% times 10 years. You're going to get the total. They, you're probably going to get in New York City 90%, and up in the upstate, you're going to get something like 85% of that 34%. And, um, and between that and the credits, and the bonds, you should come pretty close to financing. However, if you're in the city of New York, uh, generally the land prices are pretty high, so you're going to have to get some other types of financing, which is going to be too complex for me to go into here, but one of the most important is something called home funds, which is $40,000 a unit. And there's various transactions in the city of New York. The complexity of the capital structure is remarkable. It could have seven or eight different pieces to the capital structure. To what extent is getting into this program the difference between a, a, a project being able to be financed and and not get done? You have to have some experience at it. 
So if you're not experienced at it, you have to bring in somebody who is experienced at it. And I'm not only talking about a lawyer. I'm talking about someone on the team has to have experience at it and have it previously done before. If you have someone who has done it before, number one, the state agency will be much more receptive to doing that. But the second and most important part is they will be able to help you complete the capital stack between the lawyers and these people who have experience, especially someone like us who has you know, the development experience of doing it, um, you should be able to fill the capital stack completely. Are there developers who do this exclusively? Uh, what percentage of, of the work of a typical developer might, might this be? There are developers who only do low-income housing tax credit deals. There are, there's another form of transaction, which is called an 80-20 deal. And in the 80-20 deals, 80% of the building is market rate and 20% is low-income housing is affordable tenants who qualify at 50% of the AMI as opposed to 60% of the AMI. And and many of these developers do nothing but either 80-20s or affordable housing completely. Um, all of them who are involved in the program get try to get into the 9% tax credit program, but you have to bid that, and you have to be experienced. And generally, um, experienced hands who do the 9% tax credit bids will get, at best, 15, 20% of the bids that they make. Tell us about the timing of how long uh, these credits last, especially for the downstream investors. Uh, the credits are generally, it's a 10-year program. So when you come in to, buy, to develop the project, the credits are paid over a 10-year period of time. They're earned over a 10-year period of time. So the tax credit buyer recognizes that he's not getting them all up front, and he gets them over a 10-year period of time. It takes probably 90 to 120 days to go through the program to get it approved. And then once you get it approved, you're looking at another 12 to 14 months to build the project. But uh, quite often the, uh, the uh, length of the investment uh, exceeds the length of the credits, correct? Yes, 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 yes. Um, generally, they, they want you to keep the affordable tenants in place for 15 years. So it's going to be an affordable project for 15 years. At the end of 15 years, you can elect to restart to do it all over again, or you can elect to go to market. And many, many, some of the wealthiest people in the United States, specifically related capital, has um, did thousands and thousands of these. And at the end of the 15 years, they started converting them to regular uh, apartments, and, and they made an enormous amount of money by doing that. What are the risks in terms of... Uh who you have uh, occupying these apartments? Um, experienced management companies do not have problems with the tenants. They frequently go into areas where there are tenant problems. They clean out their particular project, and they are very good at keeping out druggies and all the kinds of problems that would create. These projects have been very, very successful at turning around blighted areas. And the tenancy that goes in there are saying, thank God, because they're, they're really, frequently, they, they, you have to bid to get into them, and you have to get on waiting lists, and the waiting list could be years. And in terms of the obligation to make sure that the people living there do meet the income requirements? Uh, it's done by management companies, and the management companies are very, very experienced at it. And if they're not experienced, they will not get approved by the Housing Home Finance Agency. Uh, you mentioned New York, uh, and in the city especially, uh, there are many opportunities. But this is a nationwide program. Yes, it's done all over. The, it's done all over. The best place to do these is in the Northeast, 
and, uh, and generally outside of New York City. Why is that? It's pure economics. You can get the rents outside New York City, and you can do them without all these complex structures, and the land prices are not as high in New- as they are in New York City. And if you move away from New York City, I'm sorry, from the Northeast Corridor, which is Washington to Boston, uh, the rents are lower, and it gets more complex and more difficult to do them. Uh, you were involved with a very successful project in Norwich, Connecticut. Yeah, well, that project is still hasn't started yet. Um, it will be an affordable housing project, 100 units, along with some senior housing. And we are working on putting that together, and we expect to have that approved. And what we're doing there is we're doing something else. We're going to seek credit enhancement for the first mortgage from HUD so that the interest rate will be extremely low. Is there any impact uh, on this program from the new Trump Tax Act? So far, no, other than the prices have seemed to be a little bit lower because the tax rates are a little bit lower. We hear so much about uh, government being inefficient, uh, not doing a good job, uh, how the private sector works better. How would you assess the success of this government program? This particular program has been extremely successful. The, The only trouble with this program is there isn't enough of it. Every mayor of every city, almost, is trying to find ways to participate in the program. And at this point, there is no restriction on, uh, by anybody. Everybody wants this as part of their, of their... There's a real, real demand for affordable housing. We've been speaking with Mike Zuckerman of Council at Warshaw Burstein on the issue of low-income housing tax credits. Mike, thanks very much for taking the time with us. Okay, thank you. If somebody wants to contact you about this area of the law or a project they're involved with, how would they do that? Either give me a call on my phone, 212-984-7836, or email me, mzuckerman, Z-U-K-E-R-M-A-N, at WBNY.com. All right. uh, Thank you, Mike Zuckerman, for enlightening us about low-income housing tax credits on this edition of Warshaw Burstein Perspectives. Please go to WBNY.com for other Warshaw Burstein Perspectives podcasts and for more information about the Warshaw Burstein Law Firm. Thanks for listening. I'm John Metaxas.